Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff and I'm your host, and today I have with us in the studio Reverend Mark Robinson. Mark, thanks for joining us. Happy to be with you, Zach. So Mark is a teaching elder in the PCA who currently is working on issues dealing with faith and work, and he's advising churches on how to navigate these themes and serve their congregants uh, with the Word in these areas, Uh, and he's currently based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But before that, he received his bachelor's in music and master of arts in religion at Bob Jones University. After serving in several local churches, he attended Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, where he received his MDiv, and then worked in um, in churches in the New York area for a little while before returning to Pittsburgh in the fall of 2013. He currently serves a congregation there uh, as a director of the Kern Foundation of Faith, Work, and Economic Project, and he teaches classes at the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. I'm delighted to have him here, and you may be wondering why and how I got him on the podcast, and largely it was at the recommendation or suggestion of my, of our brothers at Trinity PCA in Spartanburg, who will be hosting a conference dealing with faith and work, where Mark will be the keynote speaker, and he'll be speaking in four sessions there in August, and we'll give you more details later on in the podcast. Diving right into our conversation here, Mark, can you tell our listeners a little bit of why you're interested in these issues, how you got into um, being someone that would be invited to conferences to speak on this issue of faith and work? Well, I mean, I feel like I'm typical uh, of, uh, or I represent a lot of people in that I've kind of wandered around the vocational wilderness, uh, had a strong sense of internal call to ministry from a young age, but that didn't eventuate till years later. So you ha- I had to figure out a way to pay rent and survive during that time of the Lord de- uh, developing me and, and giving me external opportunities to actually serve in ministry. So, you know, I wandered around and thought a lot about it. And uh, work is just, it, it's just, it, it, it has such a huge place in the life of most people. I mean, I read somewhere that uh, most Americans will spend 43% of their life working. So that's a huge, huge area uh, in our lives that, and if we, you know, we're called to uh, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, then in work occupies such a big part of what we do in life. And if we're going to bring that uh, under the submission, you know, of our Lord Jesus, we have to think about how to do that. Um so, it's, you know, it's important in terms of just uh, uh, how much of our life it actually occupies. So I thought about it that way. Then as the Lord shaped me and, and, and I entered this beautiful world of Reformed theology and uh, particularly coming into contact with, and you know this quite well, Zach, just some, some of the Neo-Kyperian ideas about uh, you know, the every square inch that Kuiper said. So, you know, if if that is true, then every aspect of our lives has to be thought about in terms of what it means to serve the Lord in it. And work is a huge uh, part of that. Now, that's kind of just general. In the, in the last few years, I've worked with, there's a group that is organized to help pastors uh, with some of these common good issues uh, like work and, and to help them 
lead their churches in such a way that they're discipling the members and congregants in a life that integrates their faith and their walk with Christ with their work. So I've gotten involved with them, and that's caused me to think deeply about it. And it's through them that uh, I um, came to participate in this grant project where I was looking at believers and churches just in this kind of general region over here, this part of the Rust Belt, and going around interviewing pastors and elders and congregants on their understanding of their work as a believer, as a Christian, what it what it means to be a Christian in their work, and what does it mean to do work Christianly, and things like that. And particularly looking at um, just regular mainstream believers, not, uh, you know, there's lots of conferences that emphasize um, uh, more kind of professionals and executives uh, uh, and how they, executive Christians, and, and how they integrate their faith and work. Not so much for just the kind of average, everyday, uh, you know, non-knowledge class worker, more like a blue-collar, pink-collar service industry kinds of uh, workers that are very common here still in, in the Rust Belt, as well as other parts of the country. So I've kind of interv- I've interviewed a th- dozens of people, uh, dozens of pastors, had group meetings with them, and just asked them, you know, uh, how they're doing in this, you know, through a series of questions. And so it's just been on my mind and just thinking through what I've encountered and, and, uh, well, I could keep going, I can go on and on. So that's kind of how I came to it in the particular in these last couple of years and why it's like such a, it's occupying so much of, uh, what I do pastorally as a Christian. And it's kind of in my vocation to look at vocation in this area right now. And what what are some of the interesting responses or or insights that you're gleaning from pastors and from and from these folks, particularly in you know Christians, particularly in um, you know non glamorous workspaces, right? Postal workers or or waiters or wait staff or janitors or custodians, things that are integral to how our society functions and and clearly important when you take a step back and just consider them but don't get glamour and don't get fame what what are some of the interesting things that you've heard back from them as you've dug in and asked questions about faith and work you know i i think i've basically been reminded of just some things that most your average believer at least the ones i've interviewed doesn't see work as a place uh, where the job itself is pressing a kind of common good value for their neighbor. I mean, one of my questions was like, tell me how your job brings value to the world, to to society, to whatever industry it's in. And, and lots of people were stumped by that. And it's because I see the work is just kind of this, uh, this place that you, you have to bear up. You know, um, and it's a place where you're to they see it as just a place where I need to be ethical. I need to tell the truth. I need to not, you know, be honest and I need to not engage in gossip. And which, of course, these are necessary things and good things. But they don't see a lot of folks don't see the value of the actual job itself. I mean, how does being a cashier bring value into the world? Um, You know, in Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan, there's a, a placard on the side of a building uh, where it says plumbers are responsible for the health of the world. <laughs> you know? So that's a case where a kind of blue collar, you know, uh, trade worker, uh, 
uh, you know, hands-on kind of uh, position and job where the person knows the value they're bringing. They're bringing sanitation to 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 the world, helping keep the world uh, from you know, because plumbing, just, you know, there's so many germs and, and things involved in, in in the transmission of water and things like that. So most people couldn't answer questions like that, which was a little bit surprising to me. Also, I don't. I think there's. And this is just generally true, I think, of evangelicalism of the church and and the West, maybe perhaps even beyond. Uh, people can't give, you know, a very basic theological account of why they should work. You know, what does God say about labor? Uh, I thought most people would immediately just go to the, you know, the the. The uh, creation ordinances about you know uh, guarding and tilling the garden, um, but so many Christians just don't think about it a work in terms of this general common good, the stewardship that God has given human beings here on the earth, by which we we glorify Him and we we love our neighbor. Uh, so so you know theologically lacking in a surprising way, uh, even at the most basic level of like. Uh, defining just the common good value of their job. I think one of the indirect things that that I learned, and this kind of pertains to pastors, is um, just sitting down with people and interviewing them about their work as a Christian and letting them tell their story. I would ask them about what's, what was your first job and tell me the number of jobs you've had and you know, just all these kinds of questions. How does your job affect you? Uh, things like that, just letting them tell their story without really even being directive and giving kind of theological guidance, because I was just there to kind of talk with them and just hear where they're coming from. That was very meaningful to a lot of people. In fact, that people break down in tears as they thought about how the Lord has directed them, uh, you know, just the story of their vocational life. And it just reminded me of the impact uh that a pastor just sitting down with people and 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 asking them to reflect on what is God up to, you know, what does He say about this? How, how have you experienced this? Tell me how God has worked in your work life. And just sitting down with them has just really uh, reminded me of the importance of pastoral visitation, <laughs> even though I wasn't officially in that capacity. It just reminded me of how how uh, important that is, how impacting it is. And how not just personal life and not just family life need to be addressed or talked about when you uh, do pastoral visitation, but also the work life. Again, you know, people are working 43% of their life. So we need to help and shepherd and guide and speak into that and walk with uh, our congregants and members around issues of work and how their how their faith is being worked out in their workplaces. So so those are just just some things that I'm still reading through. I mean, a bunch of transcripts and recordings and all of the interviews and you know. So I haven't dug too deep into them, but those kinds of things jump out at me. I had told you earlier uh, that I was involved in a campus ministry that really emphasizes work, has this uh, neo-Kuiperian view of every square inch, and there's a lot of good there. But even even coming through that college ministry in my four years in school, it wasn't until I graduated from college 
and um, and got out into what most adults call the real world or whatever, but got out into the working world, transitioned out of college that I realized how, really realized how big a deal work is, um, how defining it is, especially to the primary breadwinner in a household, how defining it is to to not just what we do or what we're about, but who we are. And there was a book that I read coming out of that time that from a theological perspective really gave a good view of this. And and it wasn't even the main point of the book, I don't think, but it was one of the sub points. It's Rick Phillips' book, The Masculine Mandate. I read that at the very beginning of the book in response to in response to another volume that I won't name on the podcast, uh, Rick highlights how God created Adam and placed him in the garden for a purpose, and that purpose was proximately to work in the garden, to to take care of it, to exercise dominion there in the garden, to order things properly, and to bring out a harvest. And uh, obviously, all of this ultimately is to the glory of God, but Adam's proximate, immediate function was to do work in that place where God had put him. And that was really valuable to me because, you know, my first couple jobs out of college were not rewarding in and of themselves. But when I stepped back and I considered, you know, God put me here for this season of life in order to work in this garden, it was uh, it was very helpful to me. And you know, even, you know, especially when you're coming off of the high of college and you, you want to go out and change the world and, and exercise dominion over every square inch and all these <laughs> other things that get us so hyped up. Um, it was nice to have that mm-hmm. sobering reminder. You know, not every garden is, is this, ma- is, is Versailles, right? Not every garden is, is going to be glorious and glamorous. And so I, you know, I really appreciate hearing you say that you've been working through these themes with folks who don't have big glamorous jobs or they're exercising a lot of authority or anything and, and helping walk them through how it is they're accomplishing something to which God has called them. Mm. And, and I think that brings us into our next question here is, you know, beyond the time issue, right? Beyond the 43% of, of your right. life working, why is it important to talk about this issue. Yeah, I mean, I think you just you, you hit on it. I mean, right on our first or second page of our Bible, we find God, like you just mentioned from uh, Rick Phillips' book, we find God putting man in the garden and tasking him with this massive stewardship of gar- of uh, tilling, you know, keeping and tilling the garden. This. They, they create, we call this the, these the creation ordinances, right? Marriage, procreation, uh, labor, Sabbath. These are huge uh, things, you know, deeply embedded just in the structure of creation, uh, in our anthropology. I mean, I live in Western Pennsylvania, and you know, what, one of the things we're known for is like when we lost the steel industry, we had, I think. Aliquippa was a city that had the highest suicide rate in the nation in, in the 70s when the steel industry left. And that was because people lost their jobs and they felt worthless and meaningless. I think, you know, the, what you can see from that is it's so deeply important to us to work that people lose hope when they don't have a job. Uh, 
when they can't do meaningful work of whatever sort. It doesn't have to be, you know, this post-industrial knowledge class, tech work, but any kind of meaningful work, steel work and uh, landscaping, you, you name it. Any kind, any kind of thing that's bringing constructive uh, value to some realm of creation. So, you know, in answering your question, what do we need to talk about? It's so deeply embedded in creation. God gave man to do that. I, I you know, I, I, I kind of think about this tripod that if a man doesn't worship God, tripod of three W's, it doesn't, isn't given a wife and isn't giving meaningful work. He's out of kilter, <laughs> right? These are these, these things that are at the heart of uh, what it means to be uh, faithful stewards and, and who live faithfully before God as image bearers here on earth. So work is one of the, you know, one of the big, big three there. Uh, so you have to think about that. You have to, you have to um, consider that theologically. And then right, right within the, the Decalogue, the fourth commandment, which is a positive prescription for celebrating Sabbath, has within it six days we shall labor. But the seventh, right? So it's, it's about Sabbath, but you can't think about rest and Sabbath without likewise thinking about work because it happens within the context of work. It's a call away from uh, the regular labor of six days. So work is very much implied right in, you know, the very positive uh, structure of the fourth commandment is just embedded right in the midst of the Decalogue given to us by the finger of God, right, from Mount Sinai. So theologically, it's just just very, very um, important. God has made us to be, you know, makers, not takers. When you look at the uh, Ephesians chapter four, Paul, you know, Paul says that let him that stole steal no more, but what? Let him labor with his hand so that he may have to give to those that are in need. So we're not to be just consumers or takers, but we're to be producers and makers. That's how God, he, he has made us to be this way. So to not talk about it is irresponsible. As irresponsible as if we didn't talk about things like marriage or Sabbath. Um, the stuff is just right at the heart of you know, again, what it means to be an image bearer here on earth, to bear, to image God, who himself, I was just reading Psalms, and I think it's Psalm 8, you know, it talks about God creating this, you know, the heavens and the stars, the works of his hands. <laughs> when you read about ancient Near Eastern gods, they don't, you know, they created man because they didn't want to get their hands dirty. And yet, the Bible reaffirms that God gets down into the dirt, you know, to create us and that we see the works of his hands and we, we rejoice in, in, in that. He rests from his labor and we do likewise and, and we rejoice in, in what he has done. So it's just deeply embedded, you know, in the structure of, of, of things. And you have straightforward commands, you know, in, in the New Testament as well. Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. And he talks to slaves and, and, and tells them to, you know, you serve Christ. You're not a you're not a man pleaser, and it is from Christ that you have your inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. So work is a matter of you know Christological discipleship. 
as well. When we're laboring, we're laboring as before the Lord. Paul, you know, later says, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So it's just, it's just, you know, you start, we put this lens on and you look at just how fundamental work is. Um, it's just everywhere. You just, it's just, it's just all over the place. The assumption that faithful humans, faithful believers are ones who labor and, and we haven't even defined work, but I basically, I just see work as uh, heard a rabbi from Los Angeles say, work is any constructive altering of some realm of creation. So, you know, we're not just talking about paid jobs. We're talking about any, any way in which we are constructively altering creation, cutting grass, making beds, making a meal, building a program, uh, doing accounting. It, it, you know, there's so, so many ways. There's so much potential within creation that needs to be uh, developed. So work is just... The sky's the limit in terms of possible, uh, profitable, constructive work. I could go on and on and on, but I think you get the point. It's it's very, God has made us as workers. He himself has worked and he's called us and commanded us. You know, we call it the cultural mandate, right? To to work, to to build the garden where he puts us. Yeah, I have another question in mind. I want to tackle it about kind of the controversial aspects of work, right? Whenever you have something important like Sabbath and marriage and gender, you know, something that's foundational and rooted in creation, uh, there's going to be controversy around it. But so I want to get that out there so we don't forget it, but put on the back burner because I want to handle one other theological biblical issue here or biblical theological issue. And that is when we talk about work, and I know some of my listeners are going to be thinking about this, and Tim Keller jumps right on it in Every Good Endeavor pretty early on in his book, which is a valuable resource, um, at least one that I found to be valuable. But we jump to Ecclesiastes chapters 2 and 3, uh, especially, yes. but you know, really even honing in Ecclesiastes 2.17, where you have the the preacher calling out from this perspective under the sun, so I hated life for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. So briefly, what in the world do we do with that while we're trying to cultivate and develop this rich theology and appreciation for work? What do we do with the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 2? Well, I mean, we basically I, I parked in creation, but, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 is not the end of the story. You get Genesis 3 and the sweat of our brow and the thorns and the thistles that grow. And work has, work has taken on, because of the fall, it's taken on toil. And I understand the preacher in Ecclesiastes is just be p- paying attention to the toilsome aspect, because later in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we're told to work hard in our youth, right? To labor in our youth before we lose strength and ability. And it gives these wonderful pictures about, you know, the aging process, uh, this one, you know, kind of poetic and, and, and rich imagery describing what happens as time goes on. So we face toil in work the same way we face remaining sin in sanctification, right? We, we're, we're being renewed in the image of Christ in our inner man. We are to grow in grace. And that is in spite of the fall. The resurrection happens out of death. We're, newness of life in Christ comes from you know, death. 
that sin brings. So toil is just the death that is in the constructive activity of labor. And all labor has toil. Even the best work has some aspect of it that is frustrating and feels futile. Yet we are called to labor. And that's actually part of our, our work. If we're working faithfully, we're participating in sanctification. We are being sanctified. Again, right? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. We work with toil and sweat and fatigue because Christ is at work in that work. It's not just good creational activity. He's actually at work in us, doing something in us as we labor faithfully in the place where he's put us and called us and, and enabled us uh, to to do to do work. So that preacher in Ecclesiastes is just pointing out the futility of, that is inherent because of the fall in our labor. Shifting gears, I want to tackle that question I posed before about, um, see, and this is exactly why I got it out there, because I knew it was going to leave me if I didn't. Okay, I got it. So in our day and age and throughout church history, uh, we see a lot of controversy surrounding the Sabbath, right? How to keep the Sabbath, how to observe the Sabbath, what it means. Um, Greenville Seminary has a ton of resources on understanding the Sabbath in a historic, uh, in a historic confessional perspective from the Presbyterian tradition. We don't have to get into that. Nowadays, we see marriage in particular is really uh, getting assailed on every front, and with that, gender identity. All of these things we trace right back to Genesis 2, even Genesis 1. So with work, what kinds of controversies or abuses do we see when Christians talk about work? And then you could even get more broadly into it when, when the world views work. So can you, can you open up that for us a bit? Hmm. I'm trying to get at what you, some abuses, I'm sorry, say the first part again, Zach. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was a long-winded question. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I like where it was going. I didn't quite zero in on on the question aspect. Yeah. So what are what are some uh, controversies or or bad ways of understanding work as Christians? You know, I could name a couple that that maybe are easy to think up, right? Like, you know, we shouldn't view our workplace as merely a mission field for evangelism, right? right? right. God has placed us there to do something other than that, even though that's part of what what we're doing. We shouldn't view it as the end-all, be-all either. And conversely, Mm -hmm. we shouldn't view it as, oh, the thing we go do solely to make money in order to support the church. You know, so let's dive into some of those issues and and you can even draw from personal experience what are some things that people particularly struggle with even beyond just not thinking about what they're doing and how it's significant you know mm. where have you seen misunderstandings where people start building up false theologies of work yeah i think one of the one of the big ones you you mentioned is that work just becomes this the theater for doing evangelism and ethics right it becomes the place where a christian feels okay I'm just the best thing about this place I'm working is that I can witness, I can give the gospel. Of course, we want to be uh, give the gospel and and, and witness and, and and you know evangelize in what ways are appropriate and that we can. And of course, we're to lead ethical lives. But there is just again, I think people 
I think a lot of Christians don't understand just the general common good value that it's good to, you know, what is it? Dorothy Sayers says, you know, if you make shoes, you don't, the, the, the biggest thing you can do perhaps is make a good pair of shoes, you know, right? So I think common good value, you know, that's not every Christian, but I think I find that there's a lot of believers that just don't see or don't value enough just the good common grace, common good value of doing the job well, and that that flows directly from being a believer. So the workplace is something for something beyond just evangelism and 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 ethics, you know, putting on display just uh, holiness of, of of conduct and life, which again important. Um, I think we're ever susceptible to the twin problems of uh, sloth and overwork, right? Simply not putting our hand to the plow um, in an industrious uh, uh, manner. Um, and working hard, right? We're working, giving ourselves to it. Um, so some people are very tempted to sloth about work. Others are tempted to overwork as a, as a way to escape maybe a sense of inferiority or a sense of, you know, just the, trying to compensate for other areas of their life they feel are lacking. And so work becomes... Know, almost a kind of god they bow down to, an idol that they're they're worshiping, wanting liberation, wanting wanting a sense of uh, you know wanting to buttress a sense of uh, well being through their job. So we're ever susceptible to right the, the falling off on one side or the other. There, investing too much in our job, investing too little. So you even mean as Christians, we're susceptible to those abuses and we can, we can tend, I know I've done this myself. We can spiritualize our sloth either from the perspective of, oh, well, I know I'm supposed to be spending, you know, my time elsewhere. So when, when I'm at work, I'm really distracted because I know I'm not really supposed to be there. That's just a means to the end of, you know, being with my family or being at church or or going door to door and, and, and inviting my neighbors to church or whatever, right? You can spiritualize your sloth and lack of diligence, but you can also spiritualize your overwork. And that's, to me, that's the neo-Kyperian impulse where you say, oh, this is this great thing that God has given given me to do, and, and I need to pour myself out in service to God in being a lawyer, being a doctor, being a whatever, and, you, and then your life becomes overbalanced that way. And so it's not just a danger that, that unbelievers face. This is a, a real and present danger for believers who have the added impulse of wanting to spiritualize their their false theology of work and rest. Yeah, and I'm, you know, false that raises that's a good point, and it, it's something I've seen. I've been in more strongly, you know, neo kyperian or culturalist circles within the reform world, and one of the things that I've seen is just this sense of um, this pursuit. You kind of touched on it, but this desire to that's so strong to do what you love. You know, to fulfill this this kind of uh, desire vocationally where your work is just going to be thinking that it's just going to be effortless because you, you're pursuing that perfect job to do what you love. So when you're stuck with an art degree out of college and yet, you, you, you know, you're being forced to work at Walmart because that's the only job available, then this inordinate sense of dissatisfaction that comes because you're not doing what you love. 
And what the, the failure there for the Christian who thinks their job, the affections for the job must perfectly line up with, you know, the, the positive affections for a job must perfectly line up with the job itself. The, the danger there is, is you're trying to escape the cross. <laughs> you're trying to escape the kind of built-in suffering that God actually uses, uses to, to grow us. And a lot of that is just, a lot of that suffering is the toil of a job you may not like. You're not, you're not in your ideal position. So I really think, you know, maybe the, the sense of entitlement that's quite pervasive in our culture, uh, whereby people don't want to do certain kinds of jobs or, or they only want to do jobs where they're doing what they love instead of learning that God's providence, we're often called to love what we do because that's where he's put us. That's the opportunity that he has opened up for us. So I think that's a big danger for younger people to try to find work that is to, to work without toil, to work, work that doesn't exp- work, to find jobs where you're not put in a situation to experience the, the, the kind of cross-shaped sanctification of dying to self, of doing a job because uh, God has given that to you. It's a good job. It's productive, but because you don't like it, you feel you know, entitled to something more. You know, and just being inordinately frustrated with that. You know, the job place has changed a lot. I mean, it used to be. Uh, I mean, my father worked in one place for his whole career, right? Retired from the place he started. And I've already changed careers, as it were, <laughs> maybe three or four times. You know, it, it, number some of that is within just general broad kingdom work. But this post-industrial age, you know, we've seen the end of the one job at one company for your whole career. And so there's going to be a whole lot of dissatisfaction and there's going to be a whole lot of people at 45 and 50 having to relearn a new job and a new career because just the nature of the post-industrial economy is changing so fast and the footing is not super firm and you know, it's just there's just so much that that creates a lot of dissatisfaction. And as a Christian, you know, we're called to be faithful when it's hard. <laughs> In fact, without the, the hardness of work and the hardness of life and fighting sin, putting sin to death, mortifying it, um, we don't grow. So I do think that's a problem. And I think I think young people, uh, parents should be very, very much on guard on creating a culture, this is particularly a temptation of middle-class America, right? To want to create a situation for their children where they don't have to endure hardship. That is just to, to deny life under the sun, life on this side of new creation. So that means you take jobs sometimes and increasingly, you know, much of the time that are productive, that God has providentially given you an opportunity to do, even if you don't love it. <laughs> and you pray, and you hope, and you do what you can to, to, to work in a place where your affections line up, your affections, your aptitude, you know, your affinity all line up with the opportunity, but that's just not always the case, is it? So... I see. I see that as one big, uh, one big issue, particularly in the emerging workforce. 
that's trying to toil, labor, change the world as though suffering doesn't happen in work. I was having lunch with a friend of mine who's senior vice president for uh, communications. Marketing and communications is a large insurance company. She had interviewed several young women for marketing roles in, in her organization that she was head over. And she would have, you know, just frank conversations with them about their career goals and what they're hoping to do. These, these are young women who hadn't graduated from college yet. They were about to graduate from college. And she told me that she was struck at how even though they had, you know, been involved in Christian ministry in college, had had good mentors, they still had this starry-eyed view of what their first job would be like, what those first six or eight months out of college were going to be like, this glorious, glamorous view of, of going out and changing the world and transforming everything. And, you know, she said that she would let them go on, and she'd sit there and listen. And then after a while, she'd say, how do you feel about sitting in a cubicle? <laughs> and just to see their response. And a lot of times it was... Um, it was a, uh, what, what do people down here in South Carolina call it? A bless your heart kind of response, <laughs> I think. Yes. Of uh, yes. bless your heart, where they would, they would, you know, go, oh, well, I don't really think that, that that kind of environment is for me. I don't think I'll thrive in that kind of environment. I think I'm really meant to go elsewhere. And it is fine to aspire for something that, that's great and to aspire to do important work, right? Mm-hmm. Surely we don't want to. To, to poo-poo that. Right. But at the same time, I so appreciate your reminder to us, to our listeners, that oftentimes the path to growth, including your career path, is cruciform. Mm. It involves sacrifice. It involves humbling yourself. Mm-hmm. I remember one time in, in one of my in my second job where I was low man on the totem pole after coming out of a management job elsewhere. And I, I butt in to answer one of my peers' questions, and my boss gently looked over at me, put his hand up, and said, Zach, I got this. And it was utterly humbling and valuable for my sanctification. Mm, mm, um, mm. And those are the kinds of things that, that we don't foresee, but that are so important in those early jobs. Now, as a pastor, what, what, can, what can we do to help congregants in their work and vocational lives? What, what means has God given us to, to come alongside of our brothers and sisters and to pastor them and to, and to direct them on paths of righteousness in their workplaces? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, one clear thing is this is so foundational. I mean, this is Genesis 1 and 2 and then 3 when you include the uh, uh, laboring with toil, right? So this is so foundational. It's part of the counsel of God. So it's got to be preached on and taught and and, and talked about uh, because it's so it's so foundational and it's a, of course a part of the Bible right in the opening uh, opening chapters, first two pages of our Bible. You know, you get right into this huge thing of work. So that that's one, and I think. You know, in certain circles, it is talked about. It is preached about. There's uh, there's there's discipleship that happens around this in, in various ways. Um, but I, I I think just going back to something I said earlier, one of the missing notes on this is in how leadership, how pastors 
visit with their members and their congregants. And usually, uh, you know, if churches that still do this, which I should be doing it, part of, you know, how can you oversee those you don't know? But often what happens is when pastors are doing past, engaging in pastoral visitation, they're talking about uh, family stuff or personal life stuff. You know, how's your personal devotional life? Uh, how's your family life? Are things going well in the household? And not helping, not probing, not uh, tr- attempting to walk with their congregants in this huge whole other area where they spend much of their waking hours, their work. So I think just incorporating this as a matter of pastoral visitations is a matter of discipleship if that's not being, you know, adult discipleship, young people discipleship, if that's not happening already, uh, would be very, very, very uh, profitable in terms of sanctification, in terms of growth, helping and shepherding of a flock over which God has made under shepherds, overseers. So I think, I mean, I think just that little bit, just adding this to the, the to the diagnostic sheet, as it were, in pastoral visitation, or and even you know having lunch at the workplace with some of you, some of the folks in your church, and and and, and it would help pastors kind of understand more than most do what life is like the other 165 hours of the week for their congregants, right? Um, so having lunch at their workplace even, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help them, uh, help them, you know, in their shepherding. It's going to inform the kinds of applications they make in their preaching. Uh, so just, the, you know, the, I, I think that would go, these kinds of things like in the visitation, and you know, meeting with people just for lunch in their workplace or coffee or something, uh, just to get a sense of you know the context in which God has called their their members throughout the week. These kinds of things I think will yield uh, great, great, great pastoral benefit um, because there is this. There's one pastor he talks about the Sunday Monday gap <laughs> that you know the church gathered is so separated from the church scattered in this realm of work and he just you know he, he he's kind of made it a you know one big you know, he feels like a big calling in his life is to help his church and help other churches bridge that sunday monday gap help help people lead lives of you know faithful discipleship as, as believers outside the context of the church in the places where particularly here in the place where they spend most much, if not most, of their, their waking hours. So, I mean, that, I think that alone would do, do wonders. Again, the visitation and discipleship around these issues. You know, the two examples that I had in mind um, of, of how to do this well, uh, came, they came to mind as you were talking, because they, there were things mm-hmm. I recently spoke about with people here at the seminary. Um, one of our board members shared with us here at the seminary that his pastor up in Kingsport, Tennessee, every morning, every weekday morning meets with a different man in the church for breakfast before work, one-on-one, in addition to his family visitation and the family visitation that the ruling elders do. 
and he just gets together with them for breakfast to talk about what's going on in their lives, what's going on at work, and to get to know them better and to really familiarize himself with the daily routines and rhythms of each of the each of the men in the church. And and through that, he's ministering to the whole family because he's he's you know at the start of the day meeting with the head of the household, and then likewise. Ryan McGraw, one of our one of our professors here, professor of systematic theology and historical theology, when he was a pastor, when he was pastoring the uh, OPC church in Sunnyvale, California, he had a few people in his congregation who worked for Facebook or Google, you know, very demanding, uh, high time, you know, time consuming tech jobs, and he'd go to the campus, uh, the Facebook campus or the Google campus there in the Bay Area, meet them for lunch on campus and talk about how work's going. And, you know, there's in my work here at the seminary, you know, kind of heading up our promotions and our communications, Ryan or Dr. McGraw, I should say, has come to me on a number of times with recommendations. Why? Because he's familiar with the world that I'm in. Uh, not because he learned about it from you know his his exhaustive studies in 17th century Puritan theology, which he's an expert, but because he had men in his congregation who worked for Facebook and Google and provided the kinds of services that now I'm you know navigating in my work here for the seminary, and so that's so valuable on a practical level. But it also shows to me that these men have a heart for their flock. That that want to know what's going on in their lives. Yeah. So in the in a sort of very real way, this just integrating faith and work is for the pastor is just an extension of his call to oversight. So you know you, you you're going to oversee the people, the men of your church. You're going to go to the places where they work. You're going to find. You're going to get into the to, to you know at the granular level in their lives and and and, and try to walk in their shoes and walk with them. So. You know, so in some ways, it's just an extension of faithful pastoring to be concerned about work, to be concerned about issues of faith and work in the church, um, because your people work. And so you're going to pastor them in the places where they are doing the things that they're called to do. Uh, and that's just beneficial. Thank you for those anecdotes. That's just beautiful. I, I would just have felt the yearning as I've interviewed so many people, to just see more of that. And it's not rocket science, it's an ordinary pastoral activity. <laughs> not rocket science, not some special technique that you need a big seminar on. If you're a faithful pastor, you're a faithful elder, uh, who's overseeing the flock that God has put you over at that time, you're going to be concerned with the lives of your members and work is such a big part of their lives. Simple, but lacking. Boy, we need a resurgence of this. You know, Baxter's Kidderminster, how he went house to house and tailor made, uh, you know, catechetical instruction and, and, and just really worked with every person in his parish area. Wow. Beautiful. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, you know, our prayer is that, well, it's a prayer that's been answered here at the seminary over and over again. We have men that are passionate about this when they get here, because for so many of our men, at least, it is a second career. God's called them out of accounting or out of medical practice or out of law or out of technology 
to to be ministers of the word. But when they're called out of those vocations, they're not abandoning their appreciation for those vocations. They're not forgetting everything, you know, what it was like to be an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor. When I visit a lot of our graduates and I ask them, you know, what kinds of things are going on in their congregations, I'm struck by how their prior experience is informing their pastoral ministry by at least giving them an appreciation for what the men and women in their congregation are doing 40 hours a week. And that's greatly valuable. Now, we have a few minutes left. I want to make sure that we tackle the details for the conference. And of course, I could go on ad infinitum about these issues because I'm passionate about them as well. But before I get to the conference uh, details, <clears throat> just quickly, what kind of what additional reading would you recommend? I, I, I mentioned Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor. I mentioned uh, Rick Phillips, The Masculine Mandate. But I'm sure you have some other resources that you'd want our listeners to be aware of as they think through issues of faith and vocation. Yeah, I think at, at a very um, nice, thick theological level, level, there's a really good section in John Murray's Principles of Conduct on the Ordinance of Labor. Um, I find it very rich and rewarding. And that's a great book, just, you know, aspects of biblical ethics. It's a good section on the creation ordinances altogether, but it takes each one of them, and, and one of them is on labor. I think that's really good. There's a little book by a guy, um, uh, Leon DeCoster, I think his name, DeCoster, D-E-K-O-S-T-E-R, uh, called Work, The Meaning of Our Lives. And that's a 70-page book, so it's pretty brief, but very compact, concise, lots of richness in it. And he really just kind of lays out different aspects uh, of work and, and just gives really good illustrations. And uh, people I know who've read it, have been greatly helped. It just kind of fills out a, you know, kind of nice, rich theological perspective on the meaning of your work, yet in an accessible uh, pastoral way. And it does it in a brief compass, like 70 pages. Um, there's a book by a uh, pastor, uh, Tom Nelson. Uh, it's called Work Matters. And he's the pastor that he really had an epiphany at some point in his ministry that he wasn't really engaged with the people, the, the, the work lives of the people in his church and yet realized they were spending much of their waking hours in work. And so he wrote a book, and I think I just mentioned it, called Work Matters. I, I find it very good. So, you know, he just kind of walks through some scriptures and just gives rich kinds of illustrations that kind of fill out the picture of, you know, the meaning of work. And, and his intent really is to help believers bridge that Sunday, Mon Sunday, Monday gap, um, being the church gathered to their time as the church scattered throughout the week. What does it mean to serve God, to love him, to be a faithful disciple of Jesus? Um, wow. So I could, yeah, I could go on. There's a, uh, there's a book that I think kind of summarizes these issues of work and the history of faith and work by a guy, Hugh Welchel called, um, uh, what is that? Oh, how then should we work? And that's about you know, hundred pages or so. And it, you know, it gives it just gives some really good information on the history of work. You know, how the Greeks and the Romans viewed work, how the Hebrews viewed work, how the medieval ages how they viewed work, and Augustine, and and then you know, Marx. We, we didn't talk about Marx and how you know he exploited the alienation of labor, <laughs> right? So um, the hammer and the sickle. They, uh, just how alienated workers revolted. 
Um, and then, you know, a Christian view of work. And just good. And again, brief compass, 100 pages or so. He just kind of lays out um, the history of work and walks through key pertinent scriptures and things like that, giving a biblical theological uh, view. Um, yeah, so much. There's, there's, there's just a few, I think, were more accessible to um, just the average person. And I think you can get a lot of good help pretty quickly. Now, from a pastor's perspective, I just uh, I just read a volume written by it's an autobiographical kind of business guide type of book that was given to me by a member at Woodruff Road PCA who was uh, he was an insurance he was an insurance executive for years before his retirement and he was successful so he gave me this book written by one of his peers uh, who's president of the CPCU Society and I had never even heard of this before it was a short book I read it. And there's nothing blatantly theological about it. Uh, it's very autobiographical. There's a lot of business speak in there, talking about his career and different things. And I don't know how another, I don't know if it would be beneficial to everybody, uh, you know, any man in ministry who, who has professionals in his congregation. But for me, at least, reading through that book gave me insight into how a successful business executive thinks how how he views work, the val- where he sees value and where he doesn't, and um, to me at least that was really valuable. And generally, do you ever recommend to pastors that they, especially ones that maybe have been out of the workplace for a long time or entered into the ministry right out of seminary, right out of college, do you ever recommend to them to read literature like that to just get a get a picture or a window into another world, as it were, that they might not be familiar with firsthand? Sure. There's a lot of, you know, those are kind of just common grace books, right? Just like good sense about things. Um, And and, I mean, even reading just even reading fiction. I mean, there's just all kinds of reading, I think, that can inform you. That's just not that doesn't seem to bear directly on the pastoral task, maybe more indirectly bears just on life and or indirectly bears on the pastoral step, uh, task by just informing you about life, informing you about the experience, experiences that go beyond your own personal experience. Um, so sure, there's just lots of reading like that. I mean, something like Good to Great, which just kind of just gives good principles of organizations that function well, um, and you know, anecdotes and, and, and stories and things. And I just think reading stuff like that, uh, Books on just general leadership principles. I mean, there's a lot of just good stuff. I think helps you get in the get into the shoes of uh, people in your congregation who have experiences that you don't have, and you can kind of bridge some of that uh, by reading. I think most of that comes by just talking with them, meeting with them, like you mentioned, the pastors who have breakfast and go to the workplaces, and you know, that's just more directly uh, you know, putting flesh and bone on the people uh, that that you are in covenant community with, who you oversee, who you shepherd, um, you're going to get more of that, you know, you get more bang for your buck, as it were, in those face-to-face engagements and prayer times. But yeah, of course, read, read just good business books and that, you know, that recount stories of, of people in the workplace and, and things like that. You'll never know what you're going to find in books like that. Um, I found a, this fascinating anecdote about Billy Graham and the Billy Graham Association, how they do business and how they interact with vendors. Uh, when I was reading a book on on sales a few years ago, when I was in 
uh, in commission sales. And it surprised me because the author was not a Christian. He made it pretty clear he wasn't a Christian. And then he gave this glowing recommendation of, of Billy Graham and how they do business. Um, right in the middle of his book, out of nowhere, and it was based on an interaction he had with them as one of their vendors, and uh, interaction that he later regretted for how he handled it, and that's what he was talking about, but he was impressed with how the Billy Graham Association dealt with it. Um, so in any case, we're running up on our time, and like I, I promised our listeners that I would give uh, details about the conference, so I want to do that now. The conference, like I said, is at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. That's 500 Oak Grove Road, Spartanburg, and it is on Friday, August 12th, running through Saturday, August, or Friday, August 11th, running through Saturday, August 12th. It begins Friday evening. There's going to be two sessions in the evening, both lasting about an hour. And then there will be uh, two sessions on the Saturday, and it'll end at noon. Uh, well, yeah, it'll end at noon. And the four sessions are dealing with um, these, these very themes, the creation, command, and catastrophe of work, dealing with the, the, the uh, account in Genesis 1 through 3, and then the context of our work, uh, the crucifixion and consummation of our work, and then the contemporary scene of our work. So you'll see a lot of biblical theology and a lot of practical theology, whether you're a layman or, or you're a pastor. You know, this would be a valuable thing to, to come to if you're here in the Greenville area or if you want to make a trip to Greenville in August. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, it can get hot, hot down, down here. Exactly. I wasn't going to say it, but... Um, now this, <laughs> hey Zach, can I recommend one more book? It it just occurred to me as you were talking, really quickly. Yes, please do. Uh, this I'm enjoying this book by a sitting senator, Ben Sass, the Vanishing American Adult, and he delves a lot into these kinds of issues. He's got a chapter on work and you know the, the how you know uh, milking cows at four thirty in the morning and and uh, whatever you do to ears of corn and how that kind of develops character. It's just really rich. And I think he's a PCA man, if I'm not mistaken. I've heard someone has said he, he's a PCA uh, guy. But yeah, his book that just came out a couple weeks ago, Vanish- The Vanishing American Adult, I'm just finding it to be very profitable in a very practical way. Yet he's also a historian, kind of philosopher. He integrates you know, ancient wisdom with just basic, straightforward practice that, you know, uh, it's good and, and is applicable to right now and to particularly young people, the emerging generation, as well as, you know, adults who are already uh, in the workforce and things like that. So that that's just something I wanted to recommend. Very good. I'm finding it very rich and rewarding. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. I wrote that down for my my reading list this summer while I'm taking a break from classes uh, before the fall semester. Now, this has been a conversation with teaching elder Mark Robinson of the PCA, a conversation on faith and work and rest. And uh, like I said at the beginning of our program, Mark will be down here in the Greenville area for a conference at Trinity PCA in Spartanburg, August 11th and 12th. We invite you to come to that. Uh, More information online at Trinity's website. And, of course, you can always contact the seminary uh, with any questions. Thanks again for joining us on the program, Mark. I'm looking forward to speaking with you some more. Oh, great. Thank you, Zach. Good to be with you. 